0: Welcome to episode 3, in which Rutherford Craze and I discuss science. Hey all, welcome back. Today I'm here with Rutherford Craze, founder of the Type Foundry, Mass Driver, space enthusiast, notable Merveille member, and all around lovely human being. How are you doing, Ruth? Oh, thank you.
1: I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, my arm is a little achy. I've had my five G microchip this morning. Ooh, did you, did you get
0: uh, single shotted or are you in for double? Uh no, I got, I got the first part of a Pfizer vaccine. Ah, this is like the the base silicon layer, and then the micro transaction like. Uh, trans- I think that's right. Yeah. I'm coming
1: back in August. They'll like actually switch it on, and that's when I'll become magnetic
0: and start picking up the five G energy. Hmm. Uh that's a, that's really you know the ley line like theory that is. I think it's probably, uh-huh. probably on like was it like British pseudo science esoteric circles? This is like lines ago. of power connecting. Right. And... right, like between uh monuments or or Right between big landmarks and things. Yeah, right, and they sort of like drew these lines. They were like, "Well, it totally makes sense that these lines are here because you can draw straight lines between two points." And I'm like, "That's ah. theoretically true, yes." Um, so your chip like helps guide you down. Like that—that's how the energy is—is is broadcast. Oh, I see. Around. Yeah.
2: Okay, that's, that was that's a setup,
0: useful, right? So like, <laughs> Stonehenge is really like the, the precursor to this whole thing. That's something they don't want you to know.
1: I mean, I. It makes sense that stonehenge because they've been wondering about like what stonehenge is for a really long time right like is it a religious site is it some kind of orary some kind of astrological thing mm. um but i like the idea that it is like some ancient
0: neolithic uh 5g aerial mm. yeah it's got like i mean i wouldn't say it's super similar but aerials have these like really like if you see an aerial that's like got a bunch of mini aerials stacked together. There's like all these pointy little shards, sort of like around a central area, right? Mm -hmm. Now, of course, things were bigger back then. Technology wasn't as compressed, so you got to put these big lumps of stone all around like a central point. Um, Right. Yeah, that's that's the henge. That's. (laughs) I do like how Stonehenge is the is the origin of the word henge, and then someone in their Dictionary defining intelligence, like declassified Stonehenge as a proper henge, and it's like a henge-like thing. Wait,
1: so, if... so Stonehenge was was the original source of the word henge. But I, it is I now... do believe this.
0: I maybe I'm speaking completely out of pockets, but I do believe that Stonehenge is the is the source of the word henge. Like it doesn't have a true meaning like it was sort of attributed to like oh it's this rise and it's in a circle and then they started like giving it properties right like what makes a hinge and what makes some other type of earthwork? and then i believe mm-hmm. the big brains who were doing this ended up excluding stonehenge itself from actually being a henge. that's
1: that's kind of fantastic that's kind of like if um if Pluto was called Pluto Planet, and that was the origin of the word planet, and then it... Yeah,
0: and then it got, I got <laughs> <on>. <laughs> <laughs> Um I feel like there are some more of these uh, examples out there where, like, certain things... You know, like, like, like Pluto, for example, or mm-hmm. maybe not Pluto itself, but, you know, like the inner planets, right? At the distance that they appear, they just look like stars, right? So, you know, oh, like like they get the name like "planetes" is like "wandering star," right? In Greek,
1: right? It's it's short for "aster
0: planetes." Yeah, right. So Um, it's like this is a star that moves, right? And then as people learn further, they like end up completely disqualifying the thing that they like, sort of, well, planets didn't attribute it, like, it was already a star and a moving star, but, like, that was the way they thought of it, and then ended up making categories to, like, pull the thing out. And in the case of, like, the planets, that's a pretty fair category to make, because, like, obviously, a planet is relatively different to a star, unless you go for, like, Mm -hmm. brown dwarfs or whatever, but...
1: I mean, they exist on the same spectrum, right? Yeah, that's true. So... A planet and a star are kind of
0: two ends of... Yeah. Or yeah. get like in one kind of midpoint right like if Jupiter was, was even larger like a super Jupiter then at some point yeah. there's going to be enough gas to turn it into an equivalent of a brown dwarf right like it, it will just end up collapsing and it's really just like mass accumulation right
1: I think that's literally it like eventually the the mass gets great enough that the gravity in the center turns it into a star mm. like the
0: the energy um... yeah like it just kicks off that chain reaction of uh like right exactly mm-hmm. yeah so you know but with the planets and and the star i think there's like a fair category to be made but with like something like a hinge you know it's it's a completely man-made object in the neolithic era so other hinges yeah right like the communication between a hinge being built in uh what is it structure structure no Uh, i I don't know wherever southern england right Um, it's got an s in it it, it Uh, salisbury salisbury that's the one um (laughs) i was thinking shropshire but i think shropshire is close to wales i don't know my british geography is not super good
1: is stonehenge in wiltshire maybe was it originally from north wales this is a whole nother thing it It got moved but yeah like this is
0: like yeah go ahead well, this
1: is a really interesting theory. I was reading about this recently, and I don't have any of the facts to hand, so I might just be, like, completely making this up, but
0: really? i, I'm I pretty think, sure the theory I think is. we just state enough things, certainly enough, and people will end up believing us, and then they're like, is this a wild claim, or is it actually some really interesting fact? Um, like, I don't Right.
1: Know. I mean, I'm a white guy on a podcast. Basically, I whatever I
0: say, of... people will believe. Right. I mean, I started this off with that thing about the hinges, and I actually do not remember how accurate that I could have read it on Reddit and it could have been debunked. So, you know, we we're you not me, because I didn't, de- didn't even know a henge was a generic term.
1: <laughs> it's like a monger, like you've, you've heard of a fishmonger and an ironmonger, but I didn't realize that a monger is just a, a thing in itself. Someone who mongs. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's someone who, um, who sells something that they themselves buy in from a supplier.
0: So how do you an buy in war from a supplier?
1: Well, that, I think... Um, or is this one of those, I like, true... I don't know. That's I the true even make manga
0: versus manga-like split, you know, in the occupation it, world. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's technically, like, a um,
1: a minor manga. What's Pluto now? A
0: mongeroid. A mongeroid. A, <laughs> a like You know what my favorite, like, example of this type of fucking, like, just weird levels of of terminology, is Mm -hmm. like, biological classifications, I mean, probably for plants as well, but like, I'm thinking specifically for animals, um, where, you know, if you go look at this whole, like, tree of life, and it's got all, like, all the phyla and families and uh, kingdoms of the animal world and, like, they're all divided and keep on shifting and where they broke off from their last common an- ancestor. Uh, it looks like it right. has, It looks very... Um, sort of official and technical. There's, like, this is the one true way that, like, all species split out from, you know, in some sort of... Yeah. very defined manner, right? But, you know, biology is just a bunch of people guessing at, like, the things that they have found that, like based on some evidence like like they're guessing at things that split off like millions of years ago. And there's all these cases of like um animals that either have been categorized as one thing and then had to get like re as another thing like oh wait, this is not a true monkey because it's got I don't know three sets of in I don't know teeth in a certain way instead of two of yeah, those yeah. teeth and you're like okay right and then you have other things that like have this really common name right where it's like i don't know the blue x the black x and the common x and it's like oh by the way the common x yeah that is just not like actually in the same category as the other two like it is it's not the same type of thing and you're like that's, like, where we started calling this thing. Like, that's the, how the name was given to well, this, this is, like, family of birds or whatever, right?
1: This is, like, the, um, you know, there's no such thing as a fish. Uh, I
0: feel like I've heard about this. But I feel like so I've heard this, of a lot of there's no such thing as. So, please enlighten me. This was, I, I think I'm getting this from, like, a QI
1: episode that kind of, that they made a spinoff because it's such a, uh, such a wonderful Idea that there's no such thing as a fish, would uh, because there was there was a study, a meta-analysis, some kind of taxonomic oh. uh, research that investigated huge amounts of uh, taxonomic definitions and uh, like I don't know exactly how they they did this, but they eventually came to the conclusion that there is no such thing as a fish on a um, on a kind on a scientific level. There are colloquially lots of things that are fish, but scientifically the word fish doesn't have any meaning that is consistent enough to be useful right
0: i do feel that that feels familiar to me and i don't know where i'm getting that from but i also do know like having just poked around where there's like you know i think in the eel right it's like a type of fish and a mm-hmm. shark is a type of fish but then there's something else that looks a lot like a shark and they're like no you know this evil you know had conversion evolution it's something completely different and like yeah, where does that fish, like, if you go look at a, what are they called, knife fish, I think, right? They've got, like, uh-huh. well, this has no fins, except I think it's got, like, uh, an anal fin and a dorsal fin only, and, th- right? as like, it doesn't have this, and it doesn't have that, and, like, there's just not enough boundaries, because these categories are, I wouldn't say arbitrary, but, you know, they're broken up by, like, well, all of this group has to have prehensile tails and all of this group has to have like two toes instead of three toes and but like there are so many cases of something just losing or gaining a feature right so it could have right imagine these two lines that split like millions of years ago and you have something sort of at the end of that line that somehow loses a feature that would like you know make it no longer fit into that category um right and then it gets, like, all confusing because the idea of the categories is to sort of track some sort of evolutionary history, so then either the category needs to shift or the animal needs to shift. And then you get those, these examples of, like, you've got, right, felines, there's, like, true felines, and then you've got cat-like things, and you've got feely forms, right? And then you've got other things that are closer to, like, mustelids or or dogs, but they look like cats, and then cats and dogs also had like, conversion bits, and you're, like, or like a hyena, I don't know. I don't know. I think a hyena is more closely related to cats than dogs, but it looks more like a dog. I was but...
1: gonna say I thought a hyena was canine. Yeah, I think, I thought it was more closely related to dogs. But then it kind of behaves in a fairly cat-like
0: way sometimes. I don't know. I, I... yeah, hmm. no, they, they're they're feely forms as well, right? So it's like no, oh, they're feely forms. Yeah, it's like to me, it looks more like a dog, but um and there's yeah i just like a bunch of like animals that you don't really hear about very often for example um what is it like a fossa i believe i think they live in madagascar um yeah and like the little cat thingies Yeah, but are the little... they not cats you're gonna tell me no i'm pretty sure they're feely forms as well uh, okay <laughs> right so it's just like <laughs> you know is this <laughs> like there's all these things which are just, like close enough to be a thing, but they're not a thing. And then if you go look at, um, man, what was that epoch? Is it the Pliocene? It's like that epoch that would be the big one, the one that has like sort of ending out the Ice Age. We got like woolly mammoths and saber tooth cats, and like that sort of last of the megafauna type era. But a lot of things end up dying off i'm gonna Um, confidently say that was the player scene and then i'm not gonna check because okay Um, that's an exercise for the listener, i think um (laughs) right that's sort of general period and actually the one before is it before that or two before that where you have a lot of um stranger creatures uh if anyone has watched the bbc series walking with beasts that's the error that I'm I'm thinking about here, um, but again, there are like lots of animals which I think are that some like I believe with saber toothed cats as well. I think there were quite a few cats that had these like long incisors, but some of them are true cats, and some of them just convergently evolved long incisors at that time, but were not from the feline stock. And then in the right. the areas before, like the Walking with Beast era, that's very technical, by the way. Um, there the Walking were, with Beast era, yes. Um, <laughs> there were other <laughs> creatures that also had like these very cat-like, um, cat-like forms, and I I, mean, I don't I know wonder, whether they were classified as well. It's just this huge mess of like. I wonder if there is like, because it sounds like I, I'm
1: I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know specifically, but it sounds to me like there are kind of two uh, schools of thought on taxonomy, one of which is based on um, morphological features and one of which is based on genetic features. So one is looking at what has a common ancestor with what and trying to put things into categories based on that. And the other school of thought, which presumably is the one that has been going for much longer and has the most kind of precedent within the field of taxonomy is you just look at things that are similar and aside decide that they probably belong together because they look or behave or
0: act similarly. I think these things are, are probably pretty intertwined. I mean I would imagine pre the sort of enlightenment scientific revolution that happened, you know, you would just be using the latter, right? Where you're people would be looking at two creatures that seem Similar and there would be no reason to doubt that, uh, and so that's probably like a lot of the base fundamental work. But I think after that, like when when the actual science of it started developing a bit more, that was probably a bit of the prevailing idea. But I think people are trying to use a genetic link to explain morphological features, right? So let's say there's animals that have three toes or two toes, and that's the thing, right? Like if something just lost a toe, then it would theoretically have to be reclassified from a three to a two-toe. But I think the idea is like, there was not the genetic, or like the evolutionary pressure to to lose that toe. Like if that pressure had been applied, it would fundamentally change how we think about this family evolving over time. Like um, it sort of wouldn't happen just in isolation for fun and move something around. Like if it had... We're missing something in the story of like different pressures that happen to create the category, and sort of every category for like a group of species probably has these factors applied to it. It's not just like, hey, we pick out three features, and sort of like that's how we create a category. Uh, we're trying to yeah. figure out like what pressures were placed on this creature, and then like how can we likely track the way that it diverged from that point. Uh, and if something else has like a, a, one other feature that's really weird, we like based on the pressures we know, this other pressure probably wouldn't be applied. So like how did this thing come to be? Maybe we have re- put it in the wrong category because it just would be unlikely that both of these pressures would be applied at once. I, I think that's the way it's really it interesting thought. Again, I hadn't thought about that. I'm not really 100% certain I spend evenings reading articles and you know that's about as far as my knowledge on, on my knowledge mostly comes from <laughs> so
1: there's a there's a concept in biology called a type specimen um
0: which is i i believe it is the is this archetypal... something you found when searching for actual type specimens for typography well
1: exactly okay so i make the way you present a typeface is with a document called a specimen. I googled type specimen quite a lot, (laughs) Um, and then I end up reading about like biology and Linnaeus and all of these interesting taxonomy related things because, (laughs) yeah, a type specimen is like the one uh, preserved stuffed dodo that they have in the science museum that all dodo characteristics are based on.
0: God, that's like, that's like, you know, the kilogram that they have in, in Paris.
1: It literally is. It's like Le Grand Quai, but uh, for
0: animals. Imagine, imagine I don't know if being all of them chosen for that, right? Like you're the human who's now hmm. going to be type specimen for the humans. Well, so
1: I think it is literally Carl Linnaeus, this uh, Swedish guy who uh, no was sort of the father of like the idea of taxonomy in in biology. And he, I, I'm pretty sure he is he... like the type specimen for humans. Listen.
0: Of all the things I know about Carl Linnaeus, most of them have been said with a relatively disparaging tone, so I'm not going to draw too many conclusions, but the fact that he became type (laughs) specimen for the human race is not adding to his rap sheet very well.
1: No, I mean, it's... (laughs) I I don't know a whole lot about Carl Linnaeus besides that. um, uh, Well, I have a sort of level of caution for... Anyone operating in um, the field of evolutionary biology.
0: Especially in the... As it
1: relates to humans, especially in that part of, like... The type uh, 19th century. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just a massive cloud that you sort of got to wade through, digging through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... But
1: I, I, I think I have read this somewhere while trying to find things for my actual job. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's... <laughs> i can totally see that happening um you you've probably heard of like um constantization right which is like this trend for multiple aquatic species who have like an exoskeleton just sort of evolve themselves into crabs right really so yeah so there's no i did not know about this i'm so surprised that feels like something you would be like oh yeah of course i know because i got a t-shirt that has it. no so there's any sort of like multi-legged aquatic creature basically ends up re-evolving the crab right there's just like four or five cases throughout um the evolutionary record of like just different completely unrelated species ending up with pinces a bunch of legs a hard shell and like all crab-like features um and it's sort of a meme in the like biology sort of studenty community where like causaization is just sort of it's you know it's become this like joke of like this is what you know this is what the ideal body looks like you may not like it type of thing um okay, and I saw this thing I mean it's... yeah
1: well I'm just wondering if this is kind of a similar thing to like the um if this is, like, a conversion evolution thing, in the same way that, like, there's a a shape of a fish, and despite some fish being genetically extremely different from each other, they tend to evolve towards the same shape, because that's just, like, the most efficient way to move through water.
0: Hmm. Probably. I mean, I think there's some criteria on the species, right? Like, I don't think a mollusk evolved into a crab, right? But, like, it's, like, if you already had, you know, some form of exoskeleton and, and multiple legs, like, just... I think the shape uh I think there's something about like the stress pattern of the of the shell which makes it pretty uh-huh. um, resilient some sort of efficiency for like leg movement. I don't know why the pincers get evolved, but uh I would imagine it's similar things entering a niche and then basically yeah convergently finding that like this is a efficient way to to I, I I don't know. I I know about it and like thought it was great to read about, but I didn't. I don't think I looked into any of like the real specifics of why. That is, that's a really
1: interesting hmm.
0: notion, though.
1: That there is a sort of um, if if your goals are the sort of specific goals of whatever a crab-like organism um, is, are, I forgot how I began that sentence. Hmm. If your goals are sort of crabby goals, yeah, then.
0: A crabby shape is kind of the ideal thing. Really, to become a good crab, one should become a crab in the first place. I think that's how you're trying to sum that one up.
1: Well, I think that's what I'm saying, but more (laughs) succinct and kind of (laughs) better.
2: So, I saw (laughs) this.
1: Yeah? Well, I was was interested in this just like last week. Um, I was watching a video by Scott Manley on YouTube who does like space-related content. Uh, If you don't know him, check him out. Really good, Scott Manley. Uh, but he was talking about the the Soviet equivalent of the space shuttle, the Buran, and how uh, everyone says like, "Oh, it's a ripoff." It's like the Soviets saw the space shuttle and went, "We're going to do one of those," um, mm. and how actually that's almost certainly not what happened because to to rip off the space shuttle, you'd have basically had to steal all of those like design documents, all the blueprints. It would have been like a logistical nightmare on its own like to copy it, to copy the manufacturing techniques, the supply chains, what they probably did was they looked at, they found somehow the, the design requirements for the space shuttle and kind of had their own go at fulfilling those exact same design requirements. And it turns out if you're restricted to those particular requirements, the, the things the shuttle was going to be expected to do, um, basically there's only kind of one shape that you end up making. Th- so the Soviet Buran looks like the space shuttle because that's kind of the ideal shape for doing the particular set of tasks that it has to do.
0: I was reading s- something in this vein the other day, some thread on Twitter, and I'm sorry because I don't remember who was tweeting about this, but it was about secrets and knowledge, right? And how different layers of like protection are applied right and how so there are things that this is kind of blurry and i I, I remember how this ties into what you're talking about but i don't remember all the other details around it but it was something like um whether you can expect the other person like to learn about a secret um like maybe they need a certain core piece of information that they can't reasonably expect to get themselves but then there are other secrets for example uh again let's talk about like, the soviets and the americans uh racing to create like nuclear weapons right you're there's an existing corpus of scientific literature you're trying to do something right like create nuclear fission um mm-hmm. there are only so many ways you can approach it so You've got to like protect the secret in the case of like the development of a nuclear weapon, but it is reasonable that the person you're protecting your secret from can independently find out about the answer, right? Or like they can find out the secret. And how you have to protect against like information or to spot like information leaks, right? Like, was this knowledge leaked? How reasonable was that? Or did the people independently find it? Because they can follow that path themselves. Right. And I don't really know how this was tied up at the end, but it was just sort of talking about like the different layers of knowledge and, and protecting that knowledge and which sort of core components to the idea that you're working with can be reasonably protected or not. And like, maybe, maybe some of the things you think are protected are actually like, can be found independently. Um, Okay. And it was just that kind of tied into like what you were saying with like you know we also need to build a space shuttle, but we're starting from like a similar base point, and there is really nothing that would stop me also following APOC right. and like coming up with that same thing.
1: This is this is slightly reminding me of uh, you know the British Rainbow Codes during the Second World War. Um, I don't actually. British secret military projects um, were assigned code names. Um, they, they weren't, I I can't remember exactly how this came about, but I think what happened was that they were British intelligence were looking at the code names of German military projects and trying to figure out what those projects were based on what code name they picked because they were picking cool sounding code names. So for instance, (laughs) I think the one that like swung the balance was like, they, um, they named something. I'm going to make something up and say it was like Odin, mm-hmm. uh, the Odin project, uh, and I'm, I might not be thinking of the right god, but what, one of the Norse gods had one eye, right. and the British intelligence looked at those and went, Odin does "You've named your eye, project." Yes. Okay, you've named your project after this one-eyed Norse god. It's probably um, some kind of uh, single-source radar detection that uses only uh, a single point reflector detector rather right. than normally you'd have two or something okay yeah. um and they were completely spot on they managed to figure out exactly what this project was and kind of were already working on their response by the time the project was deployed and so from that point onwards um the british military decided that they were just going to stop giving their projects cool sounding names and Wait, they were sorry. just going to pick a color and an object
0: who was who gave the project odin i thought it was the germans who gave it. Project Odin.
1: Yeah, the, the Germans had a had a project Odin. Right, right. It was it was called like the German equivalent of that. That I, I don't know for sure now. Um, I the say British probably knew both the code name. The <laughs> It could be. Yeah. Uh, it might have had a W. I can't. Yeah, remember. like Warden, the British I knew think, the code name.
0: Yeah. yeah. So then, after after they, after they the figured project. this out, they decided like we are not going to make that same mistake. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so. Yeah. Just by knowing that the Germans were working on something that had that code name, they could figure out what kind of thing they might be working on and kind of beat them to the punch. So uh, what happens when so, they run out of
0: colours in the rainbow?
1: Well they every um project was and I think they the people working on the project got to choose within some reason. Um but they the projects were assigned a name that was a color followed by a noun and the color was random or went on a single or something and the noun was Mm semi-random um but it's for instance it's why the 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 british space agency rocket uh the black arrow got its name right it was just project black arrow uh, and there was also like a project green falcon and project
0: red ibis or whatever i like how they're still like well, we want to do this like hidden project name thing, but we also still want cool names. So it's gonna be they black arrow cool names. <laughs> and green falcon, right? Yeah. they're they're usually
1: quite cool names. Some of them are kind of duds, but um, mm-hmm. but I thought this was really interesting because
0: you're sort of um, I do love it. Like all of this high tech security and and project keep. Thing and code breaking whatever that went into this and uh and they basically just your opponents just guess it because they're like hmm <laughs> this sounds like like i don't know you you have like project hellfire and you're like i wonder if they're making a napalm bomb and it is all right like they're just like right you exactly. shouldn't have given it away like your marketing is too good
1: <laughs> it's one of these things that like as soon
0: as someone Kind of
1: initiates this like process of figuring out what the enemy's doing based on the code names they pick. Like that's it. No code names can ever be relating to the thing. Right. But it's one of those like um, I don't know. Like w- like when military um, military uniforms suddenly like in the beginning of the twentieth century, I think suddenly switched from being um, extravagant, kind of colorful red and blue trench jackets and things suddenly just like snapped into being camouflaged because someone's discovered that you can shoot people at long distance and it's easier to spot them if they're wearing red. Yeah. Yeah. Just ruin it. It's one of those things that like, I feel like, exactly. I feel like it ruins it for everyone. Why (laughs) can't we have project Odin and project big rocket that goes to space? (laughs) It's very descriptive. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, what was that
0: thing with? Man, there was something super in line with what you were saying. And, and it briefly just jumped out of my head.
1: Can I briefly lament for another moment that mm-hmm. the the UK is the only country, I as I'm aware the only country to have developed uh, a space program and then thrown it away?
2: Hmm.
0: But I guess it would have been like... Rolled into the... I say orbital right? launch
1: capability rather than, like, a space program? They still ah. have a space program, but it kind of works in collaboration with ESA and things now. But the UK developed orbital launch capability, launched one satellite, and then the Tories cut the project because it was too expensive.
0: Typical porn. On this note, right. what I am proud of is that, uh, like, you were like, oh, UK's the only one to develop orbital launch, and then they threw it away. Bad thing. I'm really proud that South Africa was the only country to develop an active nuclear weapons program and then threw that away. And we like the only country that has got the capability. Probably from work with Israel during the apartheid era for no discernible connection, one might imagine, um, and then decided, no, actually, this is probably not a good thing and took it away. Uh, which, I really. I mean, like. that
1: is something to be proud of.
0: Yeah, I respect that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, um, what I, jumping a little bit back to like the customization thing. Uh uh-huh. Something I read on on Twitter the other day. Uh, I'll try to see if I can find the username for the person who who did this thread as well because it was hilarious. Um, was something on. How do they say it? Mustelidification? Um, Which is basically playing on carcinization, which is now known to be pretty popular. But it's only happened like four or five times, right? And it was on Mm -hmm. mustelids, which again are kind of like cat-like things, right? It's like stoats, weasels, I think badges, right? Polecats. And how many times this exact form even some of the earliest mammals have evolved like long body short legs sharp jaws small ears and even things like cats which are kind of like an an extension of this like just like like that is the perfect form for hunting like as like small predator mammals um and sort of just supplying these examples of just like a bunch more times where this has happened and evolved and it's just like the weasel is the best mammal like it has it's happened like a whole bunch of times more than go away with carcinization just like crabs have evolved a few times like this is the ultimate predator form uh and it was just like hilariously worded of um of being like oh you thought your thing was cool well let me show you how mustelids are (laughs) superior
1: adorable I kind of love that as well. I didn't know that badgers were mustelids. This is new to me.
0: Mm, maybe let maybe that should be fact checked for a sec.
1: Yes, no, 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 no. They I, are. I've got they the are.
0: Wikipedia page open. Yes, You're right. Yes, yes. Otters, polecats, weasels, ferrets, badgers.
1: That's I did the fact checking in the background because I didn't believe you. I have to,
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm... <laughs> There are sometimes where I just like I have a strong feeling about something, and I'm sure I've read this in a place, and I'm just like, but then, like as soon as I'm a question, I'm like, wait, is a badger a mouse? Like I could see the case for it not being that. Like it is relatively different to like a weasel, um, mm. and then I I lose my confidence because it's not something I've like studied and learned. It's like oh, I read it in passing four years ago. Uh, But no, badges. But I am
1: slightly, I'm slightly thrown by a person I was talking to a few years ago, who's a a writer, um, who was saying that she, um, I can't remember what this was. She was having a conversation, um, and she uh, had some point, some fact that she was completely confident was true, and she knew it was true. um, She knew it was true because she'd read it somewhere. Um and then only after the conversation, like looking back several hours later, she went, Oh no, hang on a second. I did read it somewhere, but I also wrote it in that same place and I made it up. I read it in my own book. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I sometimes think like I'm prone to um stretching <laughs> the truth for comic effects. Like what if I completely uh nonchalantly tell someone next week that Stonehenge was relating to 5G and all of a sudden like I believe it myself because I definitely heard it on some podcast. I,
0: I do <laughs> I do love that like just the pure source of knowledge is your own gnosis of like some fact that is generated and then perpetuated by yourself. This is uh, it kind of reminds me of the people who are uh who are like really into those 2012 doomsday predictions, right? And it was, like, a bunch... Like, the History Channel had, like, all these people on as, like, the the presenters or or anchors for just a number of shows in the years leading up to 2012. Because they basically just hugely profited off this uh, and, like, the fear and hype around it. But all of the people are, like, talk about, like, the book that they've written. And, like, that's where they're sourcing knowledge. And then sometimes they'll just mention a person's name. And that person, maybe won't be in that program. But if you go watch, like, some other program also airing on the History Channel, like, one of the people there is the person who is quoted, who then quotes the other guy. And you're just like, this is, like, ten people at the top who are just all quoting each other on some nonsense about, like, the polls shifting and, you know, something's going to happen. Like, their predictions are sort of... Some what was it called like the dark womb to the center of the galaxy uh, the center of the galaxy, or whatever. And I'm like everyone's idea is just based on their friend who they are quoting from, <laughs> who's just quoting <laughs> another friend, and it just creates this like little circle. And then all the other like periphery people who are trying to get into it are just like, yeah, but you know this guy's an expert in the field, and I'm like, this is just this is just a bunch of people making stuff up, which also like kind of goes into your other scientific circles where they seem so important. But at some point it was probably also just a bunch of 17th century gentlemen sitting around in the geographic society, pulling random stuff out their ass and like being the absolute authority on, on that idea. And it's literally just a, a bunch of guys. I mean that seems
1: entirely plausible. I feel like the more science we do, the more effort we need to spend just like double checking that the last bit of science we did was actually right.
0: Hmm. I mean like ideally that's kind of like the the purpose of it right which is like that you can that you get like a study that contradicts like a previous study right and then it has value Absolutely. in the fact that it it's sort of like reinforcing the, the framework but at the same time uh you've got stuff like peer reviews which are you know are only as valuable as your peers' ideas because if they also intrinsically believe that same point then you're not really making any board. like you, you're just sort of stuck in, in a in like a maximum uh a local maximum uh, yeah i mean i think at least with like a peer
1: review you're conducting the same experiment so as long as the experiment is well designed then you're kind of validating the re- the the results but then i've seen i've read so many papers about um about like legibility and readability in typeface design because i sort of know about this topic uh and the number of experiments that i read in papers that i just like that you're not going to get any good data from this this is just not well enough designed hmm. so even if that passes peer review that's not going to really Kind of Does move the industry, move the knowledge forward.
0: Kind of tie into like the replication crisis that happened in like psychology and and other fields as well, or is this distinct of that?
1: Uh, I think this is distinct of that, but but I don't know if hmm. they tie it. It's not something I know a huge amount about. It's it's more just kind of. Um, I know. I think a lot of studies, and this. I don't mean to like denigrate science and scientists, because I think this is like this is one percent of one percent or something but Mm. um but i do generally feel like um without kind of consultation with industry experts a lot of the time um particularly in kind of less uh academic studies less like um empirical studies it's pretty easy to design an experiment that seems totally sound but actually is like not controlling a bunch of variables because yeah. you don't know that those variables exist.
0: Yeah. Um I feel like this is so it, a big problem yeah. like I see this in in like game design as well where there's um just like lots of of data that's that's just like circulated that people are like certain things like oh um this has to be done at like like VR has to be done at 90 frames. And every single study I was looking at is just quoting like another study which said that, and I could I couldn't find the bottom of where someone came up with this figure or you know something. I thought feels... the bottom of
1: that figure was that's what the Oculus Rift Development
0: Kit Two could do, right. so they said that was what you needed. Mm, see, like that could be something like it doesn't have to actually be an idea, or is it the company who provided something that is is sort of saying that. And there's a bunch of stuff with like games as well, which is just feeling based. Like, oh, this feels mm-hmm. good or feels immersive. and I'm like, that means nothing. And and the research as well is just it feels very like, yeah, you're doing some sort of test or or experiment, but you're not like this is you're you're not approaching this from an empirical scientific standpoint. It's it's just yeah, uh, right. I I I kind of worry about like, I mean, this sort of this is more like design right so like it's rela relatively fine if you don't have a conclusive empirical thing like for readability like i, I would imagine yeah. sure there's probably some optimal form at which an eye will process that form the fastest but i feel like you'll probably have variation amongst like the humans who are doing the reading which would like yeah nullify whatever so many factors yeah
1: and like the biggest factor is always the apparent size right in other words like no matter what smart thing you're doing with the typeface or the contrast or the whether it has serifs or not like ultimately the best thing you can do for
0: readability is make it bigger or make it closer to the viewer yeah Like, like some basic gestalt and exactly yeah and I think with, like, the larger field of science as well, there's this kind of problem now where, like, we're entering a very, like, this resurgence of, of anti-intellectualism and, and anti-science, which is is growing a lot. And mm-hmm. and then people who are involved in the scientific field are, you know, they've got a bunch of other problems with with the way academia is being handled right now. Like, I hear this from people who... Um, are basically looking at like tons of knowledge and like we're talking about papers and peer reviewing and how that's good to keep the framework together almost suggesting that it should be more rigorous but then I know people who are like yeah there's a problem with like uh, people who are looking for tenure who are basically you know they're sort of forced to uh, just write like churn out a bunch of meaningless papers in order to get like a certain count of papers in their names that they can find tenure and like they're just like they're not doing good like they're not finding out more stuff. Like, there were, I don't know, Greek philosophers who were coming to more solid conclusions based on sitting around on stones rather than, like, writing these papers who, you know, like, are you actually pursuing more knowledge this way? Um, and we had these problems of, like, you know, people who are not controlling for variables, people who are perpetuating bad biases. And I think that the very... The people who are intellectual and who are involved in academia want to sort of like critique this and be like here's a bunch of ways where like you can't really trust the data you can't really trust a bunch of these papers like just because it's said like you still need to dig further dig down dig into what that is which but you almost don't want to voice that like if you are someone who like maybe you're critiquing the current um, implementation of this scientific knowledge but you're not critiquing like the idea that fact-check scientific knowledge is a bad thing. You're just like, we're currently doing it badly. But for people who are just anti-science and are anti-intellectuals, they're not going to know the difference between that. Like, they're going to hear you critique papers, and they're going to take that as evidence that, like, well, look, those scientists don't know anything, and you should totally, you know, trust my aunt on Facebook who's selling, you know, some scent-based cure for who knows what right like it's it feels worrisome where like the people who are in that can like maybe they can talk amongst themselves but even then if they talk on a public platform there's a good chance someone else is going to come across that podcast or that video or whatever and then and then quote that as almost evidence right. for their own like desires and their own ideas and i want it's like you almost don't want to talk about it in order to protect the field because you believe in the field, you just don't believe in the current work of it. I I wonder how much that applies. It's difficult to to say, like,
1: like this is a really small amount of of very valid criticism, but by the way, on the whole, this whole thing, like, I totally support this because people will take a little bit of valid criticism and run with it.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, especially people who... The less nuanced... Your understanding on something is like the less, right? Like if you get some bit of criticism, people who are pretty involved with that can start seeing it like, oh, you are criticizing this aspect, and you've provided some examples of other aspect, and I can sort of like digest this. Although even at, even then you get like some base reaction, but the people who don't, they're not seeing that as like criticism. It's just like this is a. God-sent truth that like now supports some other idea, and it's not just uh, it's not being processed as a like a yeah like a criticism. It is just a almost a new fact that was I'm like yeah. yeah yeah yeah, and I I wonder like I, I said like I wonder how many times this sort of idea also gets applied to other factors I'm that we're just not aware of like. Politics, right? Like, how much can you critique a party without destroying the reputation of that party and then giving it to the opposition, right? Like, yeah. If you almost want to talk about it behind closed doors with people you know will understand, but if you try to talk about it anywhere else, it's just, oh, this thing bad, therefore vote someone else or therefore the whole system is bad and you're like uh that's like stifling conversation in a way but yeah i don't know if i could you know i don't think like could we ever trust just that you could sort of discuss a certain idea with anyone on the street and they would be able to like reasonably apply that to something else and not just use it for their own ideas like i don't know if that's ever a reasonable assumption or expectation to have i think that's it i mean i think people generally don't like gray areas and
1: unfortunately all of life is kind of gray areas (laughs) but but i think the majority of people almost everything that they're they're not actively engaged with that's not kind of deeply passionate to them or something that they're, they're immensely knowledgeable about they will treat it as black or white based on whatever opinions they hear most often about it not necessarily a, a valid assessment based on all of the views and and kind of weighted according to magnitude. I yeah. think most people kind of live on on autopilot when it comes to, my, myself included, I think this is a very normal human thing. But in, in terms of things that you're not kind of very close to the surface of, you'll kind of treat it like it's black and white, you'll treat it like it's kind of, um, yeah, whatever the last pundit on TV you heard, whatever their opinion was, go with that opinion because that's just more efficient yeah that's more straightforward right, as a I mean, human like, being with how many much complicated knowledge things to
0: can do. you can you just like dig to the bottom of right like i can't you know i hear some fact about my cat that i need to work on. like i can't dig all the way to the bottom of the field of biology to work out like who in this chain is wrong like at some point i just need to accept what an expert says and I think there's a lot of optics that are related to the presentability of the person who's saying that thing as if they do have the authority to say it. And then if they have the optics for it, you're like, okay, I will, you know, I'm just sort of accepting that they are right because they look like they should be knowledgeable and right. And you yeah. know, I can't, I mean, I, yeah, like you said, I did this as well. I read stuff all the time where it's someone who's like, Oh, I am a geologist, whatever. And I'm like, okay. I'm kind of just accepting whatever fact you say next because I don't know enough about geology to break it down, but you're using a lot of words that sound correct and kind of fit into my mental model. Um, right. And, yeah, like how much time in a day do you have to do to, to just even understand all the factors that are, that are going into it. And, and, yeah, then there's like this responsibility that the people themselves should you know, be able to present it and, and give it authentic, authentically and you know people who are presenting that knowledge are still just people themselves so yeah it's just now i think that's like i wouldn't even be talking about this or questioning it it just would be like yeah this is the way you know you need to process and you need to whatever but it just feels like this is kind of a weaponized point right now or yeah at least in like the, the general public discourse and yeah what, what do i mean we because do? it is
1: like if you're going to take, if someone says they're a geologist and you're going to take their word as effectively gospel because they're a geologist, um, you're not necessarily even going to have the, the time or the presence of mind or the effort to dig right down and just make sure that they actually are a geologist or even that geology as a field um, holds water. This is not a critique of geology. I think it No, but I do water. like that.
0: You, you managed to put a hold water and dig down pun into your geologist. Aside, so. thank you uh, i <laughs> that was not intentional but uh,
1: aquifer <laughs> um but yeah like it, it's it's pretty straightforward for a kind of a false flag actor to use the language of people i hate um to to kind of go in and just say like yeah i'm a geologist uh rocks are made up by satan and there's a small cohort of people that probably will accept that without questioning it because they'll go, oh, well, you're a geologist. So if you say rocks are made by Satan, then, well, who am I to question that? <laughs> yeah, I mean- And we're back I... on the Stonehenge being a 5G mast again, but-
0: <laughs> All right, that's that feels like a, a reasonable circle. So let's uh, have a- Would you call it a henge? A circle made up of individual points. You know, I'll get. Let me contact an actual geologist. To get a get a <laughs> categorization, categorization of our of our point. But um, maybe we should transfer over to a, a different underground line from this uh, this circle line that we're. I don't. Know, I'm trying to make a linear underground joke here, but I I, I don't okay. have enough of the terminology sitting at the forefront of my brain to, to pull this off effectively. Um, so let's, like, here, I'm uh, just thinking. Here, kunt to overstopper Oh, here kunt u overstopper for the train naar Den Haag, or I don't know, Amersfoort, some Utrecht. Who knows? <laughs> that's that's
1: the only thing coming to mind. I've spent hours on the tube and like not as long on the public
0: transport here, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, easy. <laughs> um, it's like the those Dutch lines that are like repeated by automatic things or, or like voiceover. The one that I have in my head the most is uh, when you're in the little and a new till opens and then it's just like you kunt uw boodschappen alvast op de band leggen. And I just love that. Like I don't know why, but it's just sort of constantly playing on loop in my head. That's
1: a That's a good one. It's a good kind of rhythm to that.
0: You yeah. the and it's got, like, this particular tone to the voice as well that I love. But I, I can't mimic it because, A, it's a female usually, and it's just a certain timber. But yeah, yeah. let's go from Earth <laughs> upwards. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. But let's talk about some, some news in space, because I feel like I'm super out of the loop of anything that's happened recently. Um, okay, And I've always... Like, I'm always really impressed by your ability to sort of, like, something will come up and you can just accurately pull out the, like, almost the precise details of it. You're like, yeah, like, this payload was launched by this agency and it was, like, X many kilograms and it was using, like, this booster, which has, a and I'm like, where are you storing all of this, like, very precise information on it? Um... And i'm like oh yeah i feel like some of
1: this is an overstatement but i don't know i mean i can do some of the payload quantities of i've i've
0: definitely heard you just like absolutely drop like some incredibly technical knowledge on on some piece of space equipment and i'm like do you have this in front of you like where are you generating all of this from I'll tell you what it is it's
1: i watch like um Space news and uh, hmm. rocket design videos. I just, like, watch stuff when I'm cooking, and usually I watch space stuff because that kind of interests me. Hmm. Um, so I spend, like, an hour up to a day cooking, and I spend an hour or two a day, as a consequence, watching, like, Scott Manley talk about how
0: rockets work. Hmm. I-, I was actually going to ask this, like, where, where do you... Because I, you know, I'm interested in space, but from a slightly less technical standpoint, like, it's the sort of overall achievements, like, okay, this agency, you know, I, I hear their plans are to do this, and, you know, maybe India launched a new telescope, or, right, there's of like, the general okay. updates to it, but I always feel, like, when we have talked about stuff, and you have some, like, more precise details, like, there's a lot that I'm missing, which probably could be really, enthous- um, like, really interesting, and I... But I also feel like I'm just missing this huge gulf of like how ha- I don't even know where the fields are aligning here like some of it is chemistry, some of it's engineering, some of it is just what seems acceptable in in the field of like you know this booster and that like just versus that booster and what they can output and like that's just knowledge you would have picked up over time by like hearing about oh you know this company is releasing this next booster. Um, And, like, I don't even know where to get started on figuring some of that out. Uh, I mean... Because it really, like, right now when I've dipped into it, it, it feels like there's this existing barrier to entry, which is just people already assuming you know a bunch of the technical stuff going on.
1: Right. I will say... I mean, to some extent, if you kind of—I um, have a list on my on my Twitter of just like space people that it's worth kind of having a look at. Mm-hmm. I generally find like I know every so often there's a new acronym that like comes into use. Uh, so like a couple of years ago, everyone was talking. Suddenly, everyone was talking about ISRU, uh, and I'm like, "What the hell is ISRU? How? Did- why are we suddenly always talking about this?" And it's like, "Okay, this is this is in situ resource utilization." that apparently no one was really referring to before, but now it's got a technical name because everyone is like looking into this on a, on a technical level for doing in the next few years. So once you're kind of in the system, there's still a whole bunch of information that, which I think is, is part of why it looks like there's a really high barrier to entry, because even if you kind of feel like you've caught your feet, um, like you know what you're doing, it'll still throw something at you that you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. It's like keeping in track of like JavaScript frameworks or something, right? If like, like you for a month, like our digital
0: sort of uh, circles, where you know suddenly a new thing is broken out, and uh, you know stuff like uh, I guess crypto and, and that whole field. Yep. way it's just like oh, there's a like it, now everyone's talking about this as if it's been around for twenty years, and it's just like two months ago this field sort of or like this uh technology whatever was like popularized by one company and they're like using it to do something and everyone's sort of like caught up in the fascination of it. it's like oh now we can use this to potentially do a lot more in this emerging field and i guess something like isru is like as soon as it starts getting talked about it, it just generates traction and probably one or two articles would just kickstart that process of now everyone's talking about isru 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 and just because they're enthusiastic yeah. about the field or... I think that's exactly it. I think it's um it, it sometimes feels like
1: uh remember Vine? Suddenly I'd like come into school in the morning yes, and everyone would be talking I about this vine. Just, vine.
2: Like... <laughs> yeah.
1: But, I mean this is a weird like example to use, maybe, but I kind of feel like everyone was watching these vines without me, and then they'd come
0: <laughs> into school and they'd all have watched the same one for you some know, reason. I... And they'd all know what they're I had this feeling with YouTube, when YouTube first started, when, like, people would come in and they'd be like, what, did you see that YouTube video, right? And I think the platform was just so small at that point, and if you accounted for, like, location and language, the recommended list on the homepage for YouTube, and people didn't really have accounts, right? Like, you know, especially... Mm-hmm. I don't know how old well we were. We were like fourteen at the time, right? You didn't have an account for YouTube. You just logged onto youtube dot com, and the front page would be there. And I think with those small factors of location and language, and um, you would all be served basically the same videos, right? So right. people would be like, "Oh, did you see that YouTube video that like?" And then describe what happened in it. I'm like, at that point, I don't think I had, I don't even know if we had internet at home or it wasn't. Very good, at least. Um, and I was just like, this feels like everyone, is, yeah, is is watching stuff without me or like has this network of like things that they should be paying attention to uh, that I am completely oblivious to. Like how, how do you suddenly all know this? Or I don't even remember. Like the chat service we were using at the time was like really poor as well. Uh, like instant messaging was not. Some people are still trying to use limited SMSs. are just sort of kicking off um, there. And, like, I don't know how... Like, links were probably definitely not shared with the speed that they get shared today. Um, But, yeah, it felt like everyone is on the same wavelength. And I was like, how are you guys doing this? Yeah,
1: it does feel like that with with space a lot of the time. Mm. Um, But it's kind of something I enjoy passively like i generally um my my work process is like not exactly pomodoro but i tend to like every half hour or so i'll tab onto twitter and just like scroll for a little bit Mm. catch up on what i've missed and i usually i follow enough twitter people uh that talk about space that i tend to like not miss a big news story
0: yeah i miss like smaller things the big one at the moment yeah go ahead no go on what Yeah, i was just gonna say i was gonna take a detour into twitter and its feed and like I have these completely different groups of people right like we've got Mervé, and then i got a bunch of people who develop games uh i i've got like sort of the rat post-rat sphere i've got like people who are talking about archaeology and history and then like some language but they're so wildly different uh i find like the one that i I'm engaging with at the time will be basically all Twitter serves me up because it's just serving me like related accounts and then I'll just miss like months worth of like archaeology news and suddenly one tweet will come up and then I'm like I click back on and if I start engaging then those people I'm like oh shit this person's awesome and I go into their profile and I'm like well, you know why am I not looking at this and I, I see I already have followed them they're on my list They've changed their profile picture in the meantime, so I didn't recognize them, but I just have, and I'm like, it's not like they went away. Like their, their timeline is chock full of tweets. Are you on like the, the chronological timeline? Yeah, I'm on or... Latest, but that doesn't, I don't sure think that had this means conversation anything. Before as well. I don't think Latest is, is properly serving up literally every tweet. I really feel like there's still some minor filtering on that. Cause I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Uh, there's just like stuff where it feels like people have dropped off the face of the earth for a while, but it's I'm just not seeing their stuff. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, Please continue with the. Well, I was just
1: going to say that the fun um, space news at the moment is like uh, the feuding. Pissing contest, billionaires. Oh, oh um, they're, yeah,
0: they're like the race to the first billionaire to be blowing up in space, right? Like between Bezos right? and... Right, that's the one. Uh, so Bezos, Bezos has been prattling on for months about
1: how he's going to be like, he's going to fly to space on, on July 20th. And then like just last week, Richard Branson says, I'm going to go on July 11th.
0: I was really surprised when I saw this that it was happening. I was like, oh, cool, right? They're racing each other. And I'm like, I expect this to happen like next year. And then I was like, wait... Your plan is, well, like, seven, eight days from now? Okay. Yeah. I want to see... Yeah, sure. I'll, I'm now very keen to see one of you shoot yourself into space in, in a couple days.
1: I mean, Virgin Galactic just got their license to, to carry passengers last month. Um, and I think Blue Origin got those a couple months before. Right. They both, like... They've been kind of uh, not really like in parallel as companies, but like the last couple years, they, I think they've had pretty much the same kind of
0: timelines in mind. I am reasonably surprised that they're actually launching themselves though, because I feel like it's one of you know the big promise, and then there's going to be like, hey, raffle, who wants to be the first person in space? Because I'm fucking not going uh i mean this is like i feel like i'm on elon's side on this one
1: because he's he specifically said like he's not interested in going to space he's gonna make the rockets fine but like his his ambition was never to go to space himself um uh
0: why do i feel like that's the opposite of what i i i really had to feel like he'd be like oh i'm gonna go to mars asap
1: i think he well i think he said he, he does want to but it's not like his his ambition is to do the the Mars um, settlement architecture thing and then go one that's done. I think he's less interested in just like going as a tourist. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, I, I, think, I think I'd be, less- in. I want to be really disingenuous about it and be like, yeah, typical, right? Like do something out on the fringe and then yourself stay pretty safe. But I feel like I would also be in the exact same position where I'm like, I would love to get an industry like that you know going and yeah but there's more work to be done and like i want this to be a possible like a possibility and there are still people who are more like i don't think elon would be the fittest astronaut to go to mars right like astronaut right. training is incredibly intense and i'm like i'm pretty sure that guy's not training for that while he's busy making companies and
1: no i mean he's like posting on twitter especially he's the, the chief engineer at spacex so like it remains to be um argued about whether or not like like what his actual engineering role entails <laughs> yes. but i would i would hazard a guess he is fairly crucial to the company whereas i would say like richard branson um what what the what virgin galactic is doing is much less ambitious to start with and then secondly i think richard branson is much less close to the ground on exactly what they're doing i right. think he's he's good at setting ambitions but but actually like the the rockets designed by bert rutan i think um they're all kind of there are other people in the process that i think are uh maybe more significant in details right
0: yeah that feels pretty accurate What, do, what about,
1: branson is feel... bringing up the whole like leadership team alongside him on this space flight um interesting it's it's all like senior virgin galactic executives which i felt was kind of interesting mm. it's confidence but it is putting all
0: your eggs in one basket yeah boss says we gotta go to space if we want our bonus this uh, what about putting bezos like how and then
1: putting that basket in orbit yeah strapping that basket onto it a... i'm
0: joking he can't get to orbit
1: <laughs> um
0: yeah, what like, do I think about Bezos? In terms of uh, being looped into the process of um, of Blue Origins, you know, like is he just fucking around with Amazon or, or being the I mean, auto or having a divorce or whatever, and not really? Um, they yeah, got, I really like, don't know. Because I feel like you know Amazon is such a distributed company where it's it's a shopping thing and a web hosting service right. and a bunch of other things and you know your local pseudo governmental spy agency. It's not really uh I don't feel like he's personally involved on in the rocket process. It's just like, hey, I'm rich and I bought out a minor company and or founded it. I think that's video.
1: that's possibly it. I suspect uh I mean I know he bankrolls it um quite extensively. He kind of feeds in like a billion dollars a year, I think. Yeah, um okay. Me too. I suspect he is he's probably involved on because Blue Origin quite interestingly is barely interconnected with the kind of um military industrial side (laughs) of the kind of space industry
0: like blue origin is making (laughs) you said said quite interesting i'm like
2: "Mm, okay interesting maybe
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was (laughs) like kind of just waiting for confirmation that like oh an amazon product has an alternate use with the military industrial complex well no
1: interesting as in concerning and worrying and all of those things um But like SpaceX designs and builds and flies their own rockets, right? Um, Virgin Galactic designs and builds and flies their own dumb space planes that can't actually go to space. Um, it looks sick though, I mean, it's it looks pretty cool, yeah. But it, it like it doesn't technically cross the command line, which is like the boundary of space 100 kilometers, it goes to like 90. I feel like. So it's pretty much there. Like, technically, the FAA gives you astronaut wings for that, but it's, like, it's not actually space.
0: Mm. I feel like, especially um, if you've got a very defined line and you're attempting to go ostensibly to the category on the other side of the line, you should probably make sure you could do that. That feels like really your one goal. I would goal. have said
1: that. Yeah. But, I would have said if you're going to call your
0: thing a spaceship, it has to go to space. Right. Like i am going to the sea yes i am standing in the tide and the water is up to my knees and so you could say i was at sea however exactly
1: (laughs) but yeah like blue origin um does a lot of contract work with with uh ula with boeing lockheed martin like other big um kind of government contractors they're making engines for other people's rockets that kind of thing i suspect bezos is quite Close to that i suspect he's involved there mm. but possibly not on the kind of detail of designs of rockets and things he probably like he probably signs right. things like, off
0: it's the uh, more like uh, economic or corporate or uh, industry connections to other exactly. services and you know pulling i think logistics is
1: bezos's area, yeah. thing yeah, yeah um so it wouldn't surprise me if the logistics of blue origin are, are where he really is involved yeah whereas musk is like much more you can kind of see when he talks at like press conferences and things he he probably knows um 95 percent of how his rockets work like he understands how the components fit together and which components are made of which materials and things like you can kind of yeah he's done some really good interviews where it, you get the impression that like lead engineer and lead engineer is on his business card but it is probably also his actual job for the most part
0: right yeah 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 that that seems about accurate from what i've watched of him speaking about stuff again like i don't don't know what is. i should caveat with this with like there is
1: a lot of very valid criticism against this guy i don't want to sound like i I mean i think we support what he does Yeah. um but i do think he is of the three billionaire space people the one I hate
0: the least. What a lovely circumstance to find ourselves (laughs) in. But then again, how else was it going to pan out? Right? Someone's (laughs) going to do it. So, you know these big projects that often make the news of, like, the Lunar Gateway and a bunch of other... I think China's launching its own space station... Uh, yep. these sort of like grand projects that that seem like ah, this is gonna be the big thing that we commit to and make actual like oh like like a big ticket humanity has advanced an extra step and not just sort of like some incremental efficiency improvement to like a booster and a you know satellite band or whatever. Um, which of those? do you feel has a reasonable chance of actually manifesting?
2: I mean,
1: that's a good question. I, well, of the ones that you've listed, I'm going to say the Chinese space station uh, Changong something, mm, because they already right. have launched the first module of it. Right. Um, and it's a, it's a modular thing, like the ISS, that they're going to launch additional modules in future
0: is there a particular reason that they've launched their own sort of building onto the iss they are not allowed
1: to engage with nasa there is some (laughs) old thing from the 70s or the 90s or something there's some old like political document that basically says um nasa will not work with the chinese space agency on anything
0: interesting i mean that's not surprising i can't remember what the background of this is but but yeah there is a treaty. Right. Um International, International-ish space agency, a space station.
1: Yes. Uh, so like the, the Chinese uh, space agency, um,
0: which is a really,
1: I'm going to use the word interesting again. It has an average age of like 27. It's a really uh, kind of interesting space program. like of the Um,
0: astronauts
1: or tyconauts? oh no of like the just people working in the space program generally kind of technicians and engineers and people
0: Huh, that's really low
1: yeah uh i think they are kind of china is building it out really fast um and it doesn't have the kind of institutional generational knowledge that like nasa has NASA dates back to the fifties and it's basically like in some cases, probably the same people working there. Right. Whereas China doesn't really have that. Um, that's a tangent. Uh, so, so China is working with, uh, they've said Russia on this uh, lunar base that will take a really long time, like 2030 or something, but they want to do, uh, I think they work with ESA on some things. I think
0: there's a big asterisk on that. Um What's the interaction like between yeah. the Chinese program and the Indian program? I, off the top of my head, I could tell you nothing about it. Because I feel like they are potentially a good fit for, like, emerging partners. But at the same time, China and India have existing tension being... Yeah. Emerging, like, these big uh, countries with big populations and emerging economies, and they've got like border disputes right along the Himalayas. Like there's existing reasons for them to have the tension, even though I feel like their space programs are actually aligned pretty nicely. Um, I think that's
1: about the conclusion I would draw. Uh, I suspect they're not working together in any great capacity just because they are, they have existing political tensions. Right.
0: And, uh, Of the projects, like not just ones i listed, just sort of any, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't even know all the, you know, I don't know how much stock I even put on these like articles that I see. I'm like, you know, they're still shopping for clicks. This artist's representation of this thing looks awesome, but completely unrealistic for my lifetime. So, uh, you know. Sure. I think I'm
1: optimistic about the, are we calling it the, LOP G or the the Lunar Gateway? The Oh Lunar the Gateway
0: Lock G. Oh
1: yeah. Well it was originally was it the Lunar Orbital Platform Gateway that then became LOP G and then it might be Lunar Gateway again now? Hmm. Uh which I'm all in
0: favor of. Yeah, Gateway sounds fucking awesome. That that sounds like a big portal to who knows, huh? Yeah, it's it's not that, but <laughs> <laughs> It's way less cool than that, but it is really cool. It's a bunch of boxes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like that that concept,
0: and I also think it the, ties quite NASA neatly was, into was, the Artemis program. NASA was like um, heading that, right? But was ESA looped into it, or? I yeah, I believe so. Mm.
1: Um, okay, I have a friend of a friend of a friend who uh i can't give any details about but is in some way connected to that project i mean you can, you can um, only give six of those
0: right friend of friend of friend, of, friend
1: of it's, it's kevin bacon yeah it's kevin bacon's going to the moon
0: yeah <laughs> what is that uh do you know that quote i think it came from like 4chan which was like francis like what was it like knowledge is power francis bacon or whatever that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, like the it's quote already. by Francis Bacon, and they always thought it was to go. Like now, Kevin Bacon is going to the moon. I feel like that could be part of that quote. knowledge is
1: power. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: the moon next. I Kevin believe
1: ESA is connected to that. Uh, I suspect the Canadian Space Agency would be in some capacity. Um, that just seems like the gang. You know, <laughs> doing all the things together. <laughs>
0: Local friend group just getting together, like uh, what's that thing called Five Eyes, right? Like yeah, yeah. Oh, like, like
1: this, just just internet traffic
0: snooping thing, or or the like. It's what Australia, New like Zealand, mutual... UK, US, Canada, whatever. Like keeping yeah. tabs on the world, or just like, just the gang hanging out, spying on the rest of the development. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just. Hashtag just government like, things.
1: Casually buddies doing your international espionage together.
0: Yeah. Like
1: in a movie. Yeah.
0: It, was, it um, was the friends we made along the way.
1: Yeah. i tell you what I am interested in, uh, or very excited about, and that is the James Webb Space Telescope.
0: Oh. Has it launched?
1: No. Huh? I can't remember why it hasn't launched. Saying,
0: um, am I correct in saying that this was the one that was delayed, like, twice? Or am I thinking of a different telescope?
1: No, it is, like, it's a running joke in the kind of community that the James Webb Space Telescope is... Uh, I think the project started, like, before I was born. <laughs> Wait, <laughs>
0: um, I think, is this joke that, like, it's the best telescope on Earth? Something like that, right? <laughs> yes <laughs> no, I, think, uh, I think I've heard like, that
1: my favourite one is like when the James Webb Space Telescope launches it will be able to see like 15 trillion years back in time perhaps even as early as the original launch date of the Space Telescope
0: <laughs> oh man <laughs>
1: um, yeah it's it's on its way it's a complicated folding thing right. uh, That's b- because of where it's going right kind of feel like um if it if it fucks up in any way they're not getting another one they're just gonna like go on with a different design
0: right they're like um, well we tried and um, we tried for which many i years. think precisely
1: is why it's late because they're making like triply certain it's like a self-fulfilling thing it's late so they're making even more certain that it's gonna work because it's so late right but that makes it later
0: right right right
1: um
0: is there on, a relatively, you know, close plan for this thing? Like, you're saying you're excited for it, but is it? I, I, know, is I think it's happening... like next
1: next couple of years. It's on that kind of order of magnitude. Right. Um, it was maybe going to launch this year at some point.
2: Oh, damn.
1: I think that was the, the latest launch date before they delayed it again.
0: Yeah. Uh, what do you feel about Arecibo? I'm very sad about Arecibo. Yeah, same. I feel like it's losing one of the old
1: god. It really is. But it's it's the old god that's also like the best um like active radio telescope by a factor of two or something. Wait, seriously? The best radar telescope by a factor of two.
0: I, I had no idea. We're still pulling that much weight. Well it's um I
1: don't know about accuracy and detail that kind of thing, but in terms of so, Arecibo is an active radar telescope, which means or it was I should use the past tense for this, which means that it actively sends radar pulses out into space and then uh, records what bounces back. Which means it is like the best thing we had for finding near Earth asteroids, for instance, because you you can't see them against like the the space background they're not bright enough or big enough to be um visible in like passive spectra but if you throw a whole bunch of radio waves at them you'll get some bounce back and that's how you detect them because of like the inverse square law of um uh diminution because because radar goes faded Mm -hmm. quickly yes um you need to square the area of the reflector to double the sensitivity, and Arecibo was like so big that it was like twice as sensitive as the next biggest
0: thing. How, does, how do other telescopes in its vein work? Like you're saying it's it was an active radar in a way that seemed like that was notable? Are there like passive radar systems? Or like... I, think, I, well, I felt like most, To me, that was like, oh, that's how it's done. Like, you're shooting out things and you're getting bounce back, right? But is that not the case? I think that is
1: true. Well, most radio telescopes um, that are looking for, like, things further afield um, are just, like, kind of passively waiting for radio waves from stars, from, like, astronomical objects. Um, so, I mean, there's only
0: a certain set of things that they could detect, right? Like, stars could send radio waves, but, like... Planets and asteroids, and, like none of that, then correct or no? But then, this you can infer the
1: existence of like this is how you find exoplanets is you look for dimmings in the yeah. emissions of the yeah. stars. Okay. Um, so just measuring the stars can tell you quite a lot,
0: it can tell you kind of yeah, so what was right, so like stuff I, as well. the way this sounds is that, like, on a passive system, really far objects are sending their waves out. So they can travel right over this long distance and you pick them up. And active systems can detect objects that are not sending pulses, but since you have to actively send it, you've only got, like, this really short range, like, relatively short right, range, exactly. which you can detect. Like, what was that range, by the way?
1: Off the top of my head, I don't know. It was within the solar system, it, um, yeah. obviously, but it was it was significant. It would have given us, like, um, I think in the scenario that a uh a near earth asteroid is on a collision course with Earth, Arecibo would have given us like a week's notice, and now we only have like three days' notice, something like that
2: okay well, that's good
1: <laughs> I mean this is like. We're we're pretty sure there aren't any of these near Earth asteroids on a collision course. Yeah, uh, like don't don't panic. It's not twenty twelve. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I do hear like every now and then just a piece of news about like oh, people scientists find a new um, like comet or asteroid that like has a pretty close flyby, but that they weren't aware of yet. And I'm like, hmm. You know, I'm not really concerned about this, but it does seem strange that this wasn't on anyone's, well, for lack of a better term, radar, uh, Nice and it, like it, it seems surprising that this is surprising to them. Uh, right. I mean, if, it's pretty close I think what you
1: have space. to remember is that space is really big. That do be true. Yeah. Um, not to be intentionally facetious,
0: but no, but like, that is the thing that everyone forgets, right? Like, it is big, and then when you think it's big, it's bigger than that. Like I, I was making a game not that long back, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, I did all this like accurate representation." Then I loaded it into the level, and I'm like, "Nothing actually shows up, and I cannot see anything because it's too small, and there's too much space in between stuff." So, right, all of the perspectives getting shifted. Like it is, it is incredible.
1: But I think that's the thing, like, if you look at, even if you're scanning, like, one patch of sky, or well, like, one degree of the sky every single night with an active system, you're still not going to catch everything, because, like, the, there's just too much space yeah. out there. Um, so it's kind of chance-based. Like, the really dangerous, scary things, you'll probably notice, because they're really dangerous and scary, and they'll, like, likely be on a... Um, They'll likely be detectable but also like it's worth noting that the i was i was only reading about this the other day but the the Oort cloud like this big cloud of mm-hmm. um brooks and asteroids and kind of shit floating at the edge of the solar system um for the most part it's easy to think about uh, think of it as like a kind of spherical cloud of stuff hanging out at the edge of the solar system Right. Um, But what it basically is, is a shit ton of little like asteroids and comets and and things that are on extremely eccentric orbits that have them like out in really, really far like trans-Neptunian space um, at the very edges of the solar system for like millions of years at a time. But they are all still ultimately orbiting the sun. And eventually, after millions of years, they will make their way into the inner solar system and like swing around the sun and then go all the way back out again.
0: Yeah, so they, like sometimes they have like, like really elliptical orbits oh, Exactly. Right? It's like they spend a lot of time out on those far ranges, but they do zoom through.
1: Exactly. So they will kind of, they'll swing past every so often. They probably won't make it in past like the orbit of Jupiter. If they do, they'll probably be perturbed by Jupiter and they won't hit anything like the odds of anything hitting anything are super low but it is like there's a bunch of stuff there. out there like is, there's is an uncountable natural... amount
0: of stuff out there right of course is that the natural um way of things on the edge of a system to actually have relatively elliptical because i'm assuming this is all just like detritus from the early formation of the system right yeah and pretty much everything on the inside is it just the effect of the sun that has moved most things into relatively circular orbits. Um, when they're that far out, they're just less affected and therefore maintain a higher eccentricity or...
1: We know. are stretching the bounds of my knowledge of orbital mechanics, but I think what happens is that um, orbits are circularized by objects in similar orbits kind of interacting with each other. Like resonance poles and... Um, Right. Exactly. So the more interactions nearby objects have, the more circular their orbits will become. and therefore the stuff that's like really far out just isn't it's on a really really slow, really low energy distant orbit. so it just isn't coming past the Sun often enough to be perturbed into a more circular orbit. Right. Fact check this before repeating it, but I think this is this makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, I, I can see that as being the case. Again, yeah. Exercise for the listener. <laughs>
1: <laughs> don't email me. <laughs> or maybe do, actually. That's quite an interesting one. Tweet if I'm both wrong, us. I want to know what the right answer is.
0: I don't know what you can You can <laughs> tweet us about anything. Or well, at least you can tweet me about anything.
1: You can tweet me about everything. Yeah. I won't necessarily respond, but it's probably more interesting than a customer support request. So.
0: I uh, respond to those. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I have to talk about this a bit with, like, just changing the way that I engage on Twitter and realizing that, like, at the start, Twitter had this facade of being an almost, as, like, a bunch of individuals who were just, like, prattling off to nowhere and lucky individuals had a bunch of people who f- stumbled upon their stuff and found it. Jab with them, and and therefore got their following, um, and not like the cohesive social space that it can be. And I think a lot of people are operating on that principle, where it's just like this—you are just shouting off into nowhere. Um, mm. But finding these like close mesh nets where people are like just in like multiple group chats with each other, spend a lot of time on the timeline, like actively networking yeah, and, and engaging and uh, cross-pollinating ideas and sharing just like regular human related stuff amongst the fact that they're like pseudon- you know pseudo anonymous uh you know no profile characters sometimes that they're playing uh and then just like in- like spaces when spaces launched was was great for this because you just like a bunch of these people suddenly became very normal humans who were just like talking to each other about their hobbies and their weekend plans and uh, and that was great. So like I'm mm. totally on the mindset that you you know just hit, hit people up or hit, hit me up and like if you have a question you think you're thinking, like ah oh, maybe I should DM like just DM because like the other person is still just the person and you know maybe you can turn this into something like there's it still is a social network and there is networking to be done socialize it to be done um and not just you like, i do feel the same way yeah. like a lot of the time
1: the weird dms with like questions that i had never even considered the answers to are some of the best ones oh sure. um usually on like in terms of my my because i have two accounts i have my personal account i have my what i call the corporate account um oh. some of the like Inquiries from students or people who, like, I know are probably never going to buy something from me, um, never really going to, like, engage with my work in a financial way, but are just kind of casually interested in, like, why I've made a certain decision or why I've done something, or they have a totally unrelated question. Those are some of the best conversations. The ones that are, like, not kind of career networking. They're just, like, another human has asked a question, and now we can have a little conversation about it. Mm -hmm.
0: No, I find those so, I kinda... so enriching as well, and yeah, and realizing that there must be a bunch of scenarios where I'm I stop doing that for another person because I think that they're like too professional or too out of touch to do so, but are probably just as likely to do. And I, we have we sell this idea of people being like very busy, no time for anything else beside like the important things. The the more successful you are, you know, the less time you have for the masses who are just you know, crackling about nonsense and your time becomes, like, more and more valuable. Like, there's still just people who are, love to be engaged with things and, like, worst they can do is block you. That's fine. Um, yeah, and, like, again, my philosophy is just, like, now that I realize, I'm like, just use, engage more on Twitter and, like, actually, when you're not just, like, getting this vitriol feed of, like, anger posting, it can actually be a really nice place. Like, I used to, I was going to the point where I'm like this, you know, people call it like the hell sites or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. And like my perspective totally shifted where I'm like, I just changed the people I was engaging with. And I'm like, yeah, it's actually, it can actually be super lovely. And uh,
1: yeah, I, I tend to be kind of um, easy on the ban hammer. Uh, I tend to like, as soon as someone starts plugging like their NFT collection, I'll unfollow them <laughs> or if they get like really like, if they're just retweeting news stories all the time then i'll kind of mute them or something if i don't want to unfollow um i feel like you have to curate stuff like that quite Mm. intensely because i don't go on to twitter for my news and so i don't really want to be getting my news from twitter
0: i do wish because i feel like to to sort of set a like like a friend so that you can engage with all the things that are kind of like you know follow and like you can't reply if you don't follow that type of thing so like i am friends with you and I like you, and I like the replies that we give each other, but I don't like your main line timeline posting, right? Like, it's yeah. it's respectable in your own degree, but it's not really what I want on my feed. So I don't want to like follow that content, but I want us to remain a connection, right? And I wish there was a good way to like filter that without like just manually making a bunch of lists and trying to categorize all of your friends into boxes.
1: Yeah, I agree. But well, there's also I think
0: you can turn off retweets for certain people as well. That's... I, I believe so, yeah. But then again, I should make like, more use of that. That's super dependent, right? Like, sometimes that's annoying because they're retweeting garbage and other times, like, some of the best, most interesting stuff I've seen has been a retweets. And, like, that's the way I... I I went from this, like, step one connection to the step beyond that. Like, and I saw, yeah, you know, their, you know, the friend that they had, which eventually would become my friend, or... You know, like, that's how that content comes to me. Like, and I, you know, you sort of a, a piggyback or hop, right, through a network by, like, finding a person, finding who they're connecting with, seeing if you like them, then seeing who they right. connect with, right? Like, so I don't want to, like, turn off retweets, but... Because I never know, like, when I feel like I make those decisions, I'm, like, closing gates that could potentially give me something interesting and if i leave them open like it's mentally taxing to like sift the stuff out but i never know what gold would be washing up right and I'm, i'm hesitant to close the gate and have potential gold i'm missing in favor of and i don't know if that's a healthy mindset but it is the mindset that i operate with ironically i feel like i want a
1: not a um chronological timeline but a timeline that is curated by some kind of ai but an ai that is trained on um i don't know stuff that i actually find interesting
0: right conversations that it leads to that rather does...
1: than engagement which just means like outrage clicks yeah
0: that's uh, so, like unfortunately the likelihood of having an ai trained on something good is
1: i want an I mean, ai that is not trained on anything profitable and I
0: feel like that's not going to happen. Even then though, like, yeah, but A, that's like unlikely to happen. But B, I also, you know, that creates uh, certain traits where like, let's say on one week, I'm very interested in this one thing. And like, that's all what I'm clicking with and engaging with, and whatever. But I still want to choose like, hey, I want to see some archaeology stuff. I want to see some space stuff. I want to see some language stuff. I want to see some music stuff. And then I get really into like this one genre of music. And that's what I'm looking at. That's going to start filtering out other genres because it's trying to optimize for what I like. And then it's also going to, like, stop showing me stuff that was like, oh, you didn't look at archaeology. Like, you know, that's no... And, like, yeah, it's doing its job, but they funnel too much. At least all of the filters I've seen. Like, they end up really exclusively... Like, if you... For games, for example. You start looking around on just a couple things for a game that you play for, like, a week... And your whole feed like on YouTube or whatever is, like, hyper-focused into creators on that game, and I'm like, dude, I I actually play a bunch of other stuff, and also there's a million other things I wish I was... You know, I want to watch people build a farm and cook something, whatever, on YouTube, but I only want to see the latest news about this game. Right. And I, I don't know what... Yeah. I don't know where the solution for that type of AI lies, because I feel like it just does the same thing over and over because there's no none of those opportunities when, when you're talking with a person that you can branch away from like the topics you usually end up talking about and like introduce something new like oh hey have you seen this by chance and there's a you know you gamble and maybe they're like no i'm not really interested in that or they click and run with it and i don't feel like there's enough of those beside the algorithm being like Oh, it's been four days. I'm gonna randomly select something you saw last month and reintroduce it and see if you click. And again, maybe I look at that and I'm like, I am interested in that, but I'm busy playing currently, so I want to carry on watching this guide, so I don't click. And that tells the algorithm, right. oh, you're not interested in this at all. When I'm like, no, I'm not interested in this currently. I mean, that's a like.
1: I feel like ultimately, AI. No, that's a one-way street, mate. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm looking out the window at the same time. Like AI, machine learning, whatever is is fundamentally unable to come up with a concept that has not already existed. Like it, it doesn't really make new pathways; it just retraces existing pathways.
0: Yeah, I mean that's like its whole limited factor, right? Like
1: exactly. That's when it would start but
0: Therefore, in. I think
1: AI does, is not useful for discovery mm. because it will only. Up. it will only show you things either randomly or because that is an existing pathway that someone has already discovered it
0: does it's not feel... going to make
1: like weird connections
0: I, this is a term I heard when people talk about blockchain but it's like an amazing technical solution for something it doesn't have a problem to or like people blockchain is this interesting idea and it feels like a lot of its implementation is trying to solve an issue that it's it's not actually the solution for like it is a solution almost without a problem and ai and these like machine learning sets which i feel like are fundamentally different by the way but get lumped together uh like these machine learning um programs or or sets of data or whatever can do a thing in a very competent and interesting way but i don't feel like what they're currently being used for is the right thing like maybe they generate some more engagement and that engagement is obviously profitable profitable enough for it to be implemented there but i feel like it's being applied in, in like that's not the optimal solution for that and it's it's just being used there and being used there means people are paying for it which means further research can go in so it can get even better so like is this problematic perhaps not in the general the grand scheme of things but yeah you know you're still using i don't know like you're using a tool right like you've got an axe and you're using the back of it as a as a bit of a mallet right like it works not it's not the right goal
1: i feel like that's there's also a level of like um When all you have is the back of an axe, everything looks like a nail. (laughs) Like now, now that we've invented AI and blockchains, we're kind of trying to crown them into everything. And actually a lot of the time they're just not helpful. Like, I don't want a blockchain for fonts. That doesn't, there is no problem with fonts that blockchain solves. Yeah. But, But someone's like, well, I'm really interested in fonts and I'm really interested in a blockchain. So let's just like try and smush them together and then launch a startup.
0: Yeah, that feels like it's just a huge area of I like this thing, I like that thing. Now, what if you have both right. of them? And and that feels like a, a real... Like, there's all these startups and a bunch of them are going to burn out. But I'm sure for like VCs, this is a profitable enough area to like feed some of them. And some of them are going to have a combination that some other people are willing to pay for and stuff like blockchain has a certain hype around it which is marketable on that hype alone uh, right. and the more weird implementations of blockchain plus this the more hype you generate because everyone's going to be like whoa blockchain and this whatever problems might exist there now it's on the blockchain so it's like look how good blockchain is because it can also be in this space. And I'm like, yeah, I could right. probably be on a lot of spaces, but
1: you know, it's you. <laughs> you kind of like, yeah. yeah. Um, what what's the phrase I'm trying to find? Like, revering the versatility of a tool, but then it's a tool that you insist on cramming into everything, mm. so it's not really versatile. It's just like you're putting it in Abused. everything used it, yeah it's like saying you know broccoli is like the best vegetable because you can put broccoli in like everything and then you're putting your broccoli on your like on your cereal in the morning it's
0: yeah. like it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy right? exactly so, i think this is a a pretty good and succinct note to think about wrapping up on we've been going for like an hour and 45 at the moment um okay unless you've got anything you want to add or uh wrap up
1: if things. we keep going too long i'm gonna do my nft rant so it's oh.
2: i think we need to save that
0: nft rant for its own time because um, as that's we it, know that's that, its own that series that one definitely goes for a while but i think it, I, I think we actually should as two people who know the most about nft from not liking nfts rather than from actually engaging in the NFT process. I feel like we were incredibly capable to host a two hour talk session upon this. And everyone who saw it in the title and was interested enough to click is gonna be like, well, let me tell you, who the fuck are you guys to talk about it? But that's generating hate clicks. So IMO, not a bad solution. If we
1: create like a whole bunch of people arguing in the comments, then that's actually more publicity because the AI thinks that that's engagement.
0: Right. I don't even know. Oh, good. SoundCloud comments as well, because it's all like timelined into the into the audio track, right? They're not like listed underneath. So like you, SoundCloud? you have to... Yeah, like SoundCloud, it's yeah. got like the waveform of the of the audio yeah. track, right? And then the comments are, they appear temporally in that waveform. Yes. So you have to host an argument, like by timing your content <laughs> to like appear after the other person and hope that then they listen back to the file and get the, that'd be great. you know. Oh, we, should, we should just do a two hour
1: podcast that's titled something like how NFTs can change the games industry for the better. And then we just have like one minute of both of us going, well, they can't really. And then like another hour and 55 minutes of silence.
0: Or elevated music i think yeah, yeah yeah that's better
1: we'll make this episode so the like, looks like it's doing stuff
0: uh, like uh, episode 10 or something right? like a good uh milestone episode it's just like mm-hmm. we, we'll, we'll have that as the, as the setup that'd be good and then i mean you can kind of think of it as like
1: uh, a kind of experimental piece because really that one hour 55 minutes of Elevator music is a canvas for people to put comments in spatial uh, audio locations.
0: Maybe that's an untapped field, Rutherford. Is you know, podcasting and and podcaster boys is, is obviously a rising trend, right? Sure. And as as yeah. artists to engage in some experimental, you know, music as this, this is like w- weird experimental bands and genres. When you tap into the experimental podcast format? And like, just, this is a good start, I think.
1: Take it further. I agree. Yeah. Podcast as
0: conversation space. Podcast as uh, a tapestry for interconnected thoughts.
1: Oh, that's way better. Can we put the word intersectional in there somewhere? Uh, Yeah, sure. Anywhere. Just choose
0: a place in the centers and slap it on. I mean... Can we dice it up and put it between the words? Like one letter between each word of the sentence?
1: Yeah, one letter, or like maybe divide the number of letters by the number of spaces you
0: have. I think that could work. You know, you've got, then it's Excellent. really multi layered. Like literally the words are layered, Yeah. yeah. Which is itself quite an intersectional concept. <sighs> Dude, truly, I think we're at the top <laughs> of our game. <laughs> All right, Rutherford. Incredible. Have a lovely evening we'll catch up again for our art piece in the future
2: Josh you too it's been wonderful